This is the Birth of Venus podcast, and I'm your host, Rich Cusslin, bringing you the little gems I've discovered right under the surface. Today, a novel worth far more than its fast food meal price. Brought to you by Audio Theater Services, LLC, audiobook narration and commercial jingles. Theater E-R of the Ear, E-A-R, theateroftheear.com. You can read along with this podcast on birthofvenus.substack.com. The post is entitled Pre-World War II English Authors, Roman numeral 1. Why don't you consider subscribing? In 2022, I stumbled upon a copy of John Galsworthy's The White Monkey, published in 1924, in mint condition with dust jacket for the price of a burger and fries. The book dealer had perhaps thought Galsworthy unsaleable. Certainly, Galsworthy does not command the prices he once did more than 50 years ago. The gorgeousness of this copy appealed immediately to me, and you can see photos of it in my post. Few seemed to read Galsworthy any longer, and I had never. I skimmed it, wondering if I ought to buy it to resell it, and the other books that way uh, would then be gravy. But as is often the case with prose masters, his opening captured my attention. Coming down the steps of Snooks's Club, so nicknamed by George Forsythe in the late 80s, on that momentous mid-October afternoon of 1922, Sir Lawrence Mont, ninth baronet, set his fine nose toward the east wind and moved his thin legs with speed. Political by birth rather than by nature, he reviewed the revolution which had restored his party to power with a detachment not devoid of humor. Passing the remove club, he thought, Some sweating into shoes there. No more confectioned dishes. A woodcock without trimmings for a change. Of course, I bought the book, but to read, and I hoped to savor. I think it was by the third chapter that I realized that in my hands I held a real gem of book collecting. It was a nearly perfect copy, dots of minor foxing, tight hinges, corners unbumped and cleanly white throughout, which I could enjoy just for the touch of its rag paper and cloth binding, and for the sheer delight of reading for my own edification. If you're feeling kind of moronic, and you're passing through the town of Poquanic, just stop by a store, we'll sell you some more. Colonic, tonic! Poquanic, colonic, tonic. Why don't Balkan drink some every hour, now? Not since Trollope had I read eccentric yet round characters treated with as much loving compassion in a form mastered with such subtlety as to be transparent. I felt impelled, as if something within me set about to the chasing of a golden horn to read all of his writing, voluminous as it is, over the next few years. I had done this with Dickens forty years ago, and Trollope twenty, and many other authors, but I had never thought that English fiction writers of the 1920s would prove such a boon. I've since read The Man of Property, published in 1906, written when Galsworthy was still a young man and before the shock of the First War crushed many literary presumptions. That title, his first big seller, not self-published as were his first few works, proved a clumsy handling of plot with a pall cast prejudicially at his own creations. 
he had put his thumb on the scale. Later, his writing, to which the white monkey had gratefully introduced me, I would have read no other Gaulsworthy writing had I started with the man of property, became populated with fictional creations he plainly loved, as God loves man, and whom he deftly and deferentially treated with a master writer's humane sense of fair play and justice. As, for example, Silver Spoon, 1926, Swan Song, 1929, Made in Waiting, 1931, and Flowering Wilderness, 1932. The writing of his later life blossomed, most likely with the flowering of his own animate spirit, because one's writing is either delimited or set free by one's own inner attainment. It is as if the author's youthful impetuosity had entirely gone, and with it the immature imperative to prove a point by loading the dice against enemies. Aged, he reveals a maturity that he had come to his conclusions of which he need not labor to persuade a soul, that things were just as they are, but one ought to look upon them with a mercy that the reader, who is a voluntary recipient who ought not to be compelled, might take it as he pleases. In addition, there is the almost Tennysonian quality of the language, rich in melody and sonorous harmonies. Swan Song moved me to tears by its pathetic and often plangent beauty, its exaltations, which can only come through a great master and artist. Goldsworthy has led me to other British writers of that period, including Henry Williamson, whose work will be the subject of my next post. This has been The Birth of Venus Podcast, and I'm your host, Rich Cuslin, brought to you by Audio Theater Services, LLC, audiobook narration and commercial jingles. Theater, E-R, of the ear, E-A-R, dot com. Theater of the ear, dot com.